Welcome to Chit Chatter with Rhea, the podcast that provides information to you about the legal and political process. Now here's your host, Rhea Chattergoon. Welcome back to Chit Chatter with Rhea. If you are a returning listener, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming back. If you are a new listener, welcome Today, I have Tina Polsky. She is a state senator. I should say Senator Tina Polsky uh, in the state of Florida, talking a little bit about what it is like to be a senator, what she does, how it actually works in the state capitol. Tina is a lawyer and a mediator. I have actually mediated with Tina for a number of years. That's actually how we got to know each other. Um, She graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and Columbia Law School. She's married, has two kids. Both are in college now, which is crazy to believe. Um, It's just gone by so fast. But what I love most about Tina is that she is a straight shooter. She tells you like it is. It's the reason I use her as a mediator. But I also use her because she is able to express her ideas and and her beliefs in a way that people listen. And I think that's very important for any politician. Um, but she's also very principled, right? And she's going to stick to what she believes in. She stands up for whether it's racism, whether it's anti-Semitism, she stands against it. And I love that about her. Uh, I think she's one of the best people in our state government now. I am a little biased because because she is a friend and I do work with her in a, in a professional way. Um, but I hope you enjoy this, this podcast and I hope you enjoy this interview with Tina. Rate and recommend to your friends if you like it. Welcome to the show, Senator Tina Polsky. Tina, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Thanks I'm for doing- having me. Thank you for coming on. You're one of my first guests on my podcast. Um, I'm excited for you. And so before you became a senator, we knew each other because you served as a mediator for several of my cases and will continue to serve as a mediator as long as I can get you on. Um, I wanted to start the podcast with a little bit of your history. Um, I know you're a lawyer, you have, you're married, you have children, but what I really want to you to express is why did you want to serve in government? So it, sometimes these things just fall into your lap in a strange way. And that was the case for me. Um, as you said, I practiced law in New York. I was at firms and I was also in-house at companies doing um, some employment law, human resource work. I uh, moved to Florida 17 years ago and, uh, you know, had not practiced in a while and just had no interest in, you know, being an actual practicing attorney. So I just went the route of mediation. And that's, a, as you know, a, a kind of a long certification process, but got into it and, you know, was able to build up a practice, which was a little challenging because I didn't practice law here. So like a lot of people just kind of slide into mediation. So I, you know, took it upon myself to network. That's how we met each other. And right. somehow one of these networking. Um, yeah, I don't ever remember, I, to be honest with you. I don't remember how exactly we met, but, you know, that's how it goes, you know, a friend mm-hmm. of a friend or something. And so I kind of built up this practice and it is, um, you know, sort of part, part, mostly part-time for me. And so what really happened was um, I was doing that. And it's, as I said, it wasn't, taking up all my time, the mediation, and I was getting involved in the community. I started a um, 
a lunch club that you know raised money for charities. We called it the Mitzvah Lunch Club, which means good deed in Hebrew. And um, you know, was doing that, and that kind of just gave me some exposure. I was a little bit out in the community more. I joined an ADL board, uh, Anti Defamation League, mm -hmm. and was just kind of looking to expand my horizons a little bit. At the same time. Uh, when Trump was running in 2015, something you mentioned to me, Ria, which is one of the reasons why you wanted to do this podcast, I felt compelled the same way. Mm -hmm. We have this ability to do research and to present um, facts to people because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And people, right. for whatever reason, look to us because they know that we're capable and smart and you know, lawyers sort of know how to get to the bottom of things uh, to put out that information. So we might say 2015 onward when you know Trump was running, I couldn't believe what was going on in terms of misinformation. And I just took it upon myself to be very active on social media, uh, really Facebook at the time, mm -hmm. and to kind of explain things, put forward articles that explained it in a, I thought, more of a non-biased manner. Like I tried to source it. We try, <laughs> right. Right. But I, you know, I thought I was picking good articles, you know, good newspapers, like I would not do something that was, um, you know, so partisan, I would try not to. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to explain to people the truth. And I was truly devastated when he won. I mean, one of the worst nights of our lives, I, my husband and I were, you know, couldn't right. sleep at all that night. It was terrible, because I knew what it was going to be like. And I tried so hard to be optimistic. I was like, well, he's from New York, he won't be that bad. He was putting on an act. It was so much worse than I ever imagined it could have been. And so, you know, I'm just, again, continuing to kind of be out there, but I have not, no official role. And by the way, when I moved from New York to Florida, I was excited that I thought my vote would matter and mean something. Right. And it did. And I, I volunteered on my own for the last three presidential campaigns before I ran. Mm -hmm. So that was my extent of politics. And although I considered myself informed, I didn't know anything about state government. Um, and I would vote absolutely every time. Uh, but I, I didn't know the characters that I know now and, you know, the people that I work with and that I have succeeded in the positions, I didn't know them at all. Um, so I would, it was about a year after the election and I was doing one of these mitzvah lunch clubs and I'm the, it's my club. So I introduced the speakers and there were some folks there who were involved in politics. And I, I mentioned something about my frustration level and they had it in their minds that I'd be a good candidate. So I didn't know. So they said, let's go to lunch. And, you know, with busy women, it was amazing. We actually scheduled it a few days later, sort of a miracle. And we have lunch and we're just chatting about our kids, et cetera. And they mentioned that there's this open state rep seat and would I be interested in running? And I just had no idea what they were talking about. Um, but I'm the kind of person, like I got this, I my my mouth like clamped on the, bone and I was like hmm I like this idea and my husband actually you know worked in politics a little bit in or in the government when he went to school in DC and he liked it. so I called him on the way home I said you want me to run and like they know the people and there's no one good running and so I'm so flattered and that you know I do have a good profile for it and the kids are getting older and they were in high school and mm -hmm. you work from home so you can help when I have to go away and blah 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 and like by the time I got you already home, had it planned out right <laughs> So I met with, um, you know, my fellow state senator, Lori Berman, uh, who I didn't know at the time. And I was with the consultant that everybody used in, in mm -hmm. my area in like a week. And then the whole thing started going. Um, so I ran for state rep. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I knew I would, I could do it is I was like, why not try? Like, I have nothing to lose. It's a two-year seat. Um, my, my mediation is kind of part-time. 
this is a part-time legislative position. If it mm -hmm. wasn't part-time, I wouldn't have done it. Now yeah. people do fudge the truth a little bit about how part-time it is because you are in Tallahassee. I was just going to say, yeah, you're in Tallahassee a lot. And I mean, listen, yeah. you're not doing it for the pay, right? Like the $30,000 oh, pay that, that politicians get, you're not doing that for the pay. Cor correct. But it does help like when, so in March, when I can't take a mediation, at least, you know, I mm -hmm. get some money and we do get excellent benefits. I will say, right. you know, kudos to the state of Florida for, uh, you know, Florida blue. Mm -hmm. um, and thank God, I needed it and they were it was great I think I spent $250 last year so oh wow um yeah so that is a perk and you know what we deserve it because it's we get paid very poorly and it's a very hard job um so um I was so I ran for the state rep seat I had a primary I did not have a general it was tough I came out of nowhere I mean my primary opponent had been involved in local politics and, uh, you know, like anything you do, nose to the grindstone and raised money and got myself out there and did debates. Nobody expected me to do it or mm -hmm. sound informed. I had to learn everything. And um, I won that primary and then I did not have a general. So I was in for state rep. I did that for two years. And state rep's a little tougher because there's 120 of us. And, you know, we don't have a great um, ratio right. in this, the state house. Uh, there's 120 reps and at the time I think we had like 48 Democrats maybe something like that um and um that was you know it was tough but good and then the state senate seat where I lived opened up and you know that was a friend of mine who was in that seat and I thought you know what let's let's try this one next because the senate is only 40 and mm -hmm. you have unlimited bill slots and you have a lot more uh, ability to get things done, uh, work across the aisle. It's a little bit more of the congenial, or it used to be, uh, legislative branch. And so, um, you know, I was looking forward to that opportunity. So I did that, had a very tough primary where I got outspent, but I worked hard, won that one. And then I did have a general and um, that wasn't as tough, but it was close. Like the numbers are just what the numbers are, Republican right. versus Democrat and the independents probably just, um, you know, split down the middle. So uh, I've been in the state Senate for two years, and then we had redistricting. So every 10 years, when the census comes out, they reformulate the seats. The state Senate and the state House redistricting, I'm not going to say were gerrymandered. Uh, I'm going to save that for the congressional districts. Uh, but the they were okay. But they did. there was change in South Florida. Everybody sort of moved south, and we lost one Senate seat. We just didn't grow right. at the same rate as other parts of the state. So... I decided my, my district basically got cut in half. And so I decided to run for a different number. I'm currently in 29. I'm running for 30. All the numbers changed. Mostly Broward, Northwest Broward, and less of Palm Beach. Uh, so Boca, but uh, not all of it. So it changed significantly, but that's- Right, because they, with the change, you were in Lori's district. Correct. You, you would so have been running- uh, My okay. friend, Senator Lori Berman, yeah. So I had to move and I had to, you know, run and in this other district. And so that is uh, what's going on now. And I did not have a primary, but I do have a general, uh, kind of the same thing, I think is the last time, you know, the numbers are in our right. favor and, you know, I think I have a good record and I'm proud of that. And so I, I feel confident going into the uh, general election. So your um, districts that you're running for, Senate District 30, because you mm -hmm. know a lot of the people who are listening are in Broward County. So it's mm -hmm. uh, Coconut Creek, Coral Springs, Margate, Parkland, parts of Boca, um, mm -hmm. North Lauderdale, 
What am I missing? Uh, not not North Lauderdale, really. I mean, the, it's kind of touches on the border, but it's okay. uh, West Pompano and West Deerfield. So it's okay. really like this nice square that goes from Palm Beach down to Broward on the, the northern side. But the furthest east I go is like Dixie on in um, Pompano and Bra and Pom Pompano and Deerfield. So I was looking at Florida politics and you have <laughs> raised quite a bit of money, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, over $230,000 so far, probably more if, if I'm not mistaken. When I talk to people, you know, my friends, people in the community, one of the biggest issues that we always discuss is the money in politics, right? And you have mm -hmm. to raise money in order to run because you've got to market yourself. You've, you, you've got to spend that money. But to the regular citizen who is struggling to pay their rent or struggling to pay their car note or, or dealing with health insurance issues, you know, 230,000 plus dollars to spend on a campaign is a lot of money, right? How do you feel about the money in politics? I wish it wasn't there. It's gross. It really it is. is. Um, it's such a colossal waste of money. All those mailers that you you and your listeners are getting, you know, you take them, you throw them away. Those those things are minimum 20,000, right. 30,000, know, depending on the universe that you're sending to. Um, it's it's terrible. The reason that, you know, we have to do it is because the other side's doing it, right? right. The Republicans rake in so much money. Uh, Governor DeSantis has, I think, $177 million on hand. He asks for donations every day. Yep. He gets donations from, you know, uh, massive billionaires across the country. And yet, you know, puts Democrats down for being funded by George Soros or whoever, which is right. the, the, the Northeastern Ivy Leaguers, right? Right. Who, by the way, Governor DeSantis. He's one of them. <laughs> FYI. Um, but he here, you want to talk about gross. He, um, he took, uh, and I just, the number is escaping me. I'll try to find it. I think over $3 million from public funding that statewide candidates are entitled to under law in Florida. I didn't if you, know that. If you raise a certain amount of money, um, so the, showing you're a viable candidate, the statewide, meaning the governor, the cabinet members, um, the Senate, they are, U.S. Senate, they are allowed to, actually, I'm not sure about U.S. Senate because it might just be state, but they can dip into this fund. And the fact that he took it is awful. And then what do you mean I he took it. He can take it without any sort you, of- you're, you're entitled to it. You're oh. entitled to it, but you don't have to take it. Mm -hmm. Like it would be nice to not take it when you have 177 million. Do you really need the 3 million or whatever that the state is offering? Well, yeah, especially when we've got teachers underpaid in, in a oh, homeless issue in, in Florida. Like, so to me, that says everything about his character. Right. Uh, you just, he didn't need that money. Um, and that's taxpayer money. So I think, you know, around the time that he took that money, I got a flyer from DeSantis. I've gotten multiple. Mm -hmm. I am a hardcore Democrat. I have who, to, like they, yeah. you know, and they, you know, they they know that from tracking and you know my registration and I'm a right. voter. Like you know, they'd call us like a super Democrat. So why, why are they sending like, it to you? Such a waste of money. Not only the money it costs to print it, the environmental waste and everything to hardcore Democrats who are never going to vote for him. I mean, if he wants to send it to NPAs, that's his business. Yeah, and of course, statewide, if he's sending it to Palm Beach County, he's clearly sending it to areas that are a little redder. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's it's sickening the money. But let me just say something about like how it goes. It's just what the lobbyists are used to doing. And right. when you, it's not like that money is going to go somewhere else. I mean, a lot of them are very charitable. They give money. They, um, you know, are very helpful uh, to the community. But they budget a certain amount of money for the legislature. What they're, this is kind of the insight that I can give to your listeners. It's not, it is gross. I, I mean, I would be happy if we didn't have to take it. But it's not as gross as it seems in the sense of like pay for play or buying votes. I can tell you from my experience and pretty much everyone I know that that money does not give you their, does not get you their vote or my, it doesn't get them my vote on something that they, they want. What it gets them is smart people in office who they like, who they believe will listen if they have something to come to us for. Not vote with them, but just listen. And so they want the best, smartest, most accessible, pe accessible people to come. But let me office. let me challenge you on that a little bit, though, yes. because you're a stand-up person. You're a person. You know, I know you personally. You have principles. We've seen on on the federal level, at least, you know, a lot of these politicians accepting money from the NRA, from from the um, pharmaceutical companies, and yes, they're voting in line with their principles and their what they want done. So absolutely. So yes, I, I I think for you and for for a lot of I would say Democrats, you know, some Republicans because I do know a lot of Republicans who 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 would not do that. But I think you know on a federal level, people are seeing that pay for play though, and I think you know that's the problem with the money in the politics that that people have. I, an issue I agree. With. Yeah, I agree completely. I just you know want people to understand maybe it's more of a local issue. Yeah. Um, you know, I can only speak for myself, right, and you know my colleagues. But you know, a perfect example is like FPL. They they actually don't give huge amounts. Um, like their checks, you know, our max from individual is or an individual person or a company is $1,000. I've gotten a couple of $1,000 checks. Obviously it doesn't make mm -hmm. or break my campaign. Mm -hmm. um, they had a big bill on uh, solar, like changing the, the, basically sort of the subsidies that the solar industry gets mm -hmm. uh, this past year. And it was big. Um, I was lobbied front and back and sideways, you know, multiple lobbying groups came to me. I voted against them. I'm still friendly with them. I talk to them, you know, they still respect me, but that's a perfect example of, you know, how the money doesn't change the vote. Um, but as I said, you know, what, what I've learned from the lobbyists is that they uh, just want smart, good people in that they can talk to that will open their door and, and hear them out. There are so, you know, let me just like kind of put it in perspective. There are every issue under the sun comes before me. What do I know about solar subsidies right, and utility right. rates? And, you know, that's obviously not my background. We have everything under the sun, medical, um, accounting, uh, you know, um, uh, environmental issues. I mean, not, you know, everything that you can imagine. We can't be experts in everything. So we do listen to advocates. Some of them are advocate groups like Sierra Club. Some are paid lobbyists. There are paid lobbyists for, um, advocacy groups, you know, like the good guys. Um, and then there's some not good guys, but they have to come and explain things to us. And one of the reasons too, that that happens is um, term limits. They're a tough thing. And and what that does is, look, I, I get it, you know, and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for term limits probably because, you know, then someone would stay in office forever right. and ever. Um, 
And I don't want to stay in office forever. So I, you know, I think that it's not a bad thing on paper, but what it does is it gives a lot of power to staff. All every committee that we're on has huge staff, a lot of lawyers and, and non-lawyers, and the lobbyists who every lobbyist I know has been around for 20 years. It's been years. around forever, yeah. And so they have an institutional knowledge that I'm going there, you know, that I don't have, but like I'm gaining. So that's another issue, you know, that gives them well talk power, to me but, yeah talk to me about your staff so so mm -hmm. you have you take meetings with these lobbyists they bring the issues you discuss it with mm -hmm. them how much staff do you have and how do you utilize them when these issues are presented to you so the senate each senator gets three staff members we have the number after the census is 538,000 constituents and you listed off all my cities, you know, that's a right. lot of city that's commission yeah. meetings I have to go to, et cetera. Um, and, and, and you can imagine not only like a, the elected officials, but the different groups within each city that, you know, want you, the chamber of commerce, the mm -hmm. democratic club, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people looking for you to come see them. Um, so one person kind of stays back is like the district aid, we call it. And mm -hmm. they're most in charge of the constituent services. So we get a lot of calls, uh, you know, every day people call seeking help, something or other. Sometimes we can help because it's a state issue. Sometimes it's not. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we just tell them to call their congressperson because we can't help them with, you know, their passport. Right. But, you know, we are a conduit of information. And that's really how I view my role uh, mostly because, you know, when things are bad and during the pandemic and vaccines and what do I do and they're scared, we try to help with information and set up events and things of that nature. So, you know, we were putting out newsletters twice a week at the beginning of COVID to give people information, um, even things right. as mundane as how to log on to the public's website to get your vaccine. If you remember mm -hmm. back then, it was hard. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of what we do as constituent services. Um, two of the three come with me to Tallahassee during session. The session's only 60 days. We go up for committee weeks before coming up this year. Well, 2023, it's uh, March through May, but we'll be going in November for swearing in. They've told us now we're going to have a special session on property insurance because they just can't manage to fix it during regular session over the last right. four years, which is a huge problem. Um, and they couldn't manage it in the last special session. So here we go, another special session, which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why, why couldn't they manage yeah, it in the yeah. last special session? That's what Floridians want to know, right? Of, yeah, because, well, in my political opinion, uh, Governor DeSantis did not prioritize it. He had four years knowing full well this was coming down the pike. This is not something that was brand new. Mm -hmm. Climate change is a big part of it. Florida obviously is ground zero for right. you know horrible storms that are getting worse and worse, we know. And they haven't put a focus on that. Um, he doesn't want to ruffle the feathers of the insurance companies. There is this breakdown debate. Is it the lawyers? Is it the fraudulent roofing companies? Is it the insurance companies bilking us, you know, the consumer? What is the cause of it? There's no doubt we have a problem. There's no doubt we have very high litigation. Um, but what I try to point out is, why do we have to litigate these cases? Because the insurance right. company denies the claim. That's their that's their business model. I mean, I know they do that in all the states. So why Florida is worse than others? I, I really can't answer that. They have, um, over the last couple of years, broken down some of like you know we'll call it tort reform or you mm -hmm. know, insurance mm -hmm. reform that they've that they've tried. And 
I think some are good. I mean, I don't think a claim should be open for five years. You right. know, either you have damage or you don't. So we've moved it to three years, probably still a little too much, to be honest. Um, so, you know, they're doing things to try to cut down on claims, you know, acting as if litigation is the reason why. There are companies that don't want to be here because it's just too expensive from a climate perspective. Right. So, you know, that how, the real issue is how do you make insurance companies stay here? That's what it is. It's, well, it's I think what we now have litigation. two two insurance companies, uh, you know, that are remaining, you know, including citizens. Yeah, it's that... bad. And then we have the, where the, the default is citizens and they have over a million customers now. And it's really problematic. Uh, so, you know, actually at the debate last night, the governor talked about, you know, his plans, but all he talked about was litigation. Right. And it's like an easy fallback. It's a lazy way out. In my it opinion. is a lazy way out. And I'll tell you why. So I mediate a lot of the, the first party property claims. And what I always find interesting is, you know, that all of the quote unquote litigation really started ramping up around Hurricane Wilma, right? Prior to that, Florida didn't have a storm for about 11 years. Yeah. So what were the insurance companies doing during that time? I mean, they weren't yeah, raking it out, in, raking it mm -hmm. in. Their CEOs were buying private planes and, you know, that's what Floridians are seeing. And so, yes, there is a lot of litigation, but that's because like you said, they're denying the claims. And, and now there is this pre-suit mediation, you know, that's occurring. I'm doing some of those and they yeah, are resolved. Yeah, they are, you know, they're resolving some of them, but not all, right? And so, but you know, what's interesting, they complain about the settlements too, because I know a lot of insurance, you know, companies and those who represent them, I talk to them about this all the time. And they say that like a quickie settlement is bad too, because uh, they, the you know, consumer may not be deserving of it. Like, you know, they really may not have a claim, but they're right. paying out something and they're claiming that as, you know, hurting their bottom line or why they're leaving because now the, they'll say there's too many settlements. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's great to settle it. Obviously it's, it'll cost them less in the end. Right. But they feel like the fact that they're even forced to settle is a problem. And that's, it's just a perspective. Like that is their perspective. Um, there's some great ideas about like national catastrophic funds that we could set up to help defray some of the costs. You could even have just a Florida centric one. Right. Um, California has that with earthquakes. The, the a bunch of like 20 insurance companies in California band together as a coalition. Um, you could require more insurance companies to stay in Florida if they want to do car insurance, which is very profitable here. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and all the big guys do the car insurance. So. There are other things we could do, and I'm not opposed to sensible litigation reform. Uh, I was, you know, spoke out strongly against some of the roofing claims. Right. Like some of these roofers go around and and act like public adjusters, and they say, "I can get you a new roof for free," and those people are not supposed to get a new roof. Right. Um, under their insurance policy, and so that's an issue that we dealt with last, not this past year, the year before. And then actually the roofers won something in court that was like affecting their first amendment rights to uh, control what they could say to people mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in their advertising, I guess. So there's, and there's a lot more that the CFO, Jimmy Petronas's office could be doing to cut down on insurance for it. He's in charge of insurance. He hasn't done anything. Right. Nothing, um, nothing. I mean, I so, had a, a friend's dad call me yesterday, his insurance. Well, I guess his, his mortgage payments, but through his insurance went up a thousand dollars. 
and yeah. a month, which is is insane. But everyone's complaining about, you know, the insurance rates raising, and you can't have a mortgage without having insurance. So it's it's a double edged sword for most Floridians. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And and Hurricane I mean, Ian didn't yeah. help that, right? No. To those who are listening who haven't voted yet, um, and by the time this gets published, you know, you might have another week left of early voting. Polls are open seven to seven. You can vote anywhere in your county. Um, and then of course on election day, you have to go to your precinct. Don't go to somewhere else. Right. You're gonna get turned away. Um, you know, make sure you know where you're voting. Don't wait till election day, because what if you don't feel well? Just go on early vote. Or if you have a mail-in ballot, drop it off at this point at an early voting location. If you do put it in the mail, you can track it, make sure, because otherwise. Uh, you know, it may get lost. And what I want people to understand is that people complain about inflation. Some people blame the federal government and blame Biden. But what has Ron DeSantis done for your pocketbook over the last four years? And this property insurance crisis was well known to him and he chose to ignore it. I, th I think I started saying this before. Mm -hmm. He chose to ignore it in lieu of fighting culture wars. Right. And I was at the debate last night and I think they asked as many questions about transgender reassignment surgery and athletes as they did about property insurance. Right. Do you know that there were two transgender girls who played right. high school sports and that's what the bill was about? Two. Two. And we wasted so much time, as I said before, 60 days of legislative session. And this is what he's choosing to worry about. Gender reassignment surgery. How many minors are actually doing that? Right. I mean, think about it. It's obviously very serious, very radical, a family decision that they make with their doctor. Why the government would stick their nose in it, I don't know. Um, but it started through the Surgeon General and the Department of Health for Medicare. Like they, you know, if they're paying your money or Medicaid, excuse me, if they're paying mm -hmm. for it, you can't have that. And I think they want to clamp down across the board, even if you're paying privately. Um, yeah. That yeah. is just so not an issue. It, it um, isn't. But this, this is what I think people get frustrated with. We we go out and vote, like you said. We get our our you know we try to get our our Democratic senators and representatives in office, but the Republicans are still holding the majority. And then they clamp onto this culture war agenda, right? They bring up the transgender um, surgeries, abortion rights, you know, banning books, like these little things, critical race theory, which isn't being taught in in, in in high school and middle school and elementary school, but they clamp down and the Republicans are so great with their narrative. They're very mm -hmm. good pushing their narrative. And it's the biggest complaint I have, all of my friends have, it's when are the Democrats going to fight back? When are you going to use, you know, we we, we see the memes now with what they're quoting dark Brandon when Biden talks out. Mm -hmm. But every time I see a clip of that, I'm like, yeah, this is what we want to see, you know, but traditionally Democrats don't do that. Is there some internal discussion occurring on how Democrats can take charge of that narrative? And if so, when are you going to do it? Because the elections are on the corner. So, you know, a lot of people mentioned that to me. There's not like this monolith Democrat, you know, like there's the Florida Democratic Party, I get their emails 20 a day with speaking out against something or other. Mm -hmm. um, I participate in multiple press conferences about many of these issues. There are, you know, then there's the individual campaigns and then there's like each, you know, the party for each county. And then there's individual people like myself. 
you know, a lot of people are not watching the Florida channel when we're on the floor fighting tooth and nail against the don't right. say gay bill. I personally got the sponsor of the bill to admit the reason he put it forward is there are too many gays and people want to be a celebrity. That was like the biggest Perry Mason gotcha moment of my career. Right. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. It's going to be used in the lawsuit against, you know, this, this bill. And that's the, that's what we do in the minority party. We get, we parse through the bills. We make them defend it. We try to take, you know, make the bad bills less bad in whatever way we can. We kill some bills sometimes. That's like our biggest success possible. And we pass some of our own stuff. So like we speaking out, I mean, like I couldn't personally couldn't have been more vocal on right. the floor in my own social media, posting videos of myself, like we're out there. Um, you know, my, the local Palm Beach Democratic Party sends out mailers, you know, are calling, volunteering, they're at every early voting, like they are there. What I say to people, and you know, our candidates, our big candidates, mm -hmm. Chris and, and Demings, the constant commercials, I mean, right. maybe it's not as much as DeSantis, but they are hammering home on abortion and, you know, they are calling it out, like right. absolutely calling out the extremism. So I just don't know really what people mean when they say that. Well, I, I, here's, I, what, here's what I think they mean. There isn't a cohesiveness in their messaging the way the Republicans do it. And I'll tell you what, amendments one, two, and three that are on the ballot this, this um, election, I went looking at you know the state Democratic Party to see what they suggest and then the counties to kind of see what people, even that isn't cohesive. Some of them have no, no, yes. Some of them have no, no, no. Some of them have, you know, no, no. And yeah. then nothing for the third. And it's, and I'm looking at it as someone who can research and, and, and look and, and trying to figure out this, these issues so that I can share it with my friends. I'm like, but the Dems don't even have it, a cohesive platform for it. Like, what are we doing here? You know? Um, and so I think yeah, that's like, what people see. Yeah. I will, to be honest, those, these amendments are not like life altering the way we've right. had some before, like amendment four for felonies rights, raising wages. I mean, there was a lot more action on those amendments. You know, I think that might have something to do with why there might be differing opinions. There are differing opinions. A homestead exemption is great for these hometown heroes, but at the same time, it's going to hurt county government. So right. everybody's split on that. And that's yeah. okay. Like we, we do allow the diversity of opinion in our party. They don't, right. um, you know, like, and that's one of the problems with these candidates. They like the Republicans in Broward and Palm Beach, uh, they pretend to be moderate when they're home and they're not. They vote with party line all the time. All we don't have time. to do that. And that's one benefit of being a minority. We use our voice. We say what we want. We are split sometimes. Not every bill is as clear cut as the abortion bill where we were lockstep, you know. Um, but the, the thing I want to say about messaging is you know, we all have to take agency. So I say to people when they challenge on that, I said, you are the messenger, right? You have to be on your social media, share good things. Um, you need to like, if there's misinformation, you need to clear it up. Um, use your social media. Don't be afraid. Everyone's like, oh, I'm afraid to talk politics. Don't get out there. You have to get your neighbors, your friends to go vote and explain how important it is. But the messaging is us, you know, it's every mm -hmm. individual and, um, I think that's would really make a difference. Uh, you know, if everybody spoke out and debunked a lot of the ridiculousness that we see out there. So no, I you know, agree. If people take away anything from this. It's like, please get out there and express your opinion and, and fight it. Right. Right. Talk to me about how committees work. So you're on several committees. 
How do you get on those committees? What are the, what is the purpose of the committees? And then, you know, why get on those committees? Why push, are you pushing bills through those committees? Because I don't think the everyday person understands what that means. Sure. So uh, I think, as I mentioned before, this, I'll just talk about the Senate. The House mm -hmm. is very similar set up, but just I'm in the Senate now. So there's 40 senators. I'm on six committees. They technically get assigned by leaderships. So we have an incoming Senate president this year. We had one last year. They're, of course, Republican because they have the majority. They have the majority, right. Um, they assign chairs to every committee. On the Senate, we did have, I think, two Democratic chairs of like a lower committee. Um, and that's only because we're smaller in size. There are none in the House, Democratic chairs. The point of a chair is they control the meeting. They control which bills get heard um, and you know, kind of the flow of the meeting. Um, bills have to go through technically three committees in order to be heard. There are probably 3000 bills and the, in the end of the day, we pass, and this is both House and Senate because they have to go through both and be identical mm -hmm. in the end, um, about 230 or so bills. 95% of those are unanimous, not a big deal. Some are like glitch bills. We have all these um, like sunshine review things that we do, I mean, constantly, that just like there's an expiration and we have to re, uh, right. you know, re-up it. Um, glitch bills, like fixing things from, you know, the year before. Uh, so many things are just not consequential. Mm -hmm. They're important enough to do, but, you know, and by the way, we haven't talked about the budget. The only requirement of um, the legislature is to pass the budget. All the other bills are just fluff. fluff. So you have to pass the budget and you have to pass the, the um, coordinating bills that like implement the budget. And so that's really all we, and we still have to spend a lot, we do spend a lot of time on that. Mm -hmm. And then each individual senator or rep tries to get certain appropriations for their own districts. And that takes up a lot of time, like trying to get that. And, you know, I feel, especially as a freshman minority member in each of the two um, houses I served in, I'm, you know, very proud to have brought back like millions of dollars to the district. I mean, that is sometimes spread. I mean, look, it's not even, but we do get some good money and the vetoes that the governor does are, are very often across the board, even mm -hmm. though it's not like he necessarily vetoes more of the democratic appropriation bills. He can also veto regular bills. Uh, he only does that two or three times a year. Uh, I hope for good reason. Um, so a bill is supposed to be her, I'll propose like 20 something bills. I think that's what I did last year. And I did pass, I think it was like five total. Part of it is like, it could be an amendment in another bill. So if there's something else, here's a perfect example. Last year, uh, I had a bill on um, plastic bag or bottle, um, a study that we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds lame, a study, because you cannot get them to stop it. You can't get them to allow individual um, individual municipalities to ban plastic bottles. They won't allow that. So how do you move the needle and get them to do something? So I actually worked with um, a couple of environmental groups and this is what they were seeking. And this is, by the way, uh, how we get a lot of our bills. Mm -hmm. Advocacy groups suggest them to us. Um, lobbyists suggest them to us. You know, 
I did some for the real property, you know, probate um, group of the bar association, you know, like mm -hmm. technical things. They're not those aren't the sexiest bills, but we always right. pass that are kind of important. I did an IRA bill um, that had to do with, you know, um, uh, recognizing the value of an IRA in a divorce. It's important to people, it's but it's you know yeah. like not exciting. And that did pass, you know, bipartisan. So you get these ideas. So this plastic bag study was, an idea brought to me, I was happy to support it. Uh, and and one of the reasons we put it forward is because we thought, okay, that could get passed. It's a study, like it's not, you know, right. gonna kill anyone. And it, oh, and it had been 11 years since they did a study before. So like, okay, it's time. So I had it as a standalone bill, it didn't go anywhere. There was a bill on waste management. I can't even tell you exactly what it did. A Republican had the, had it. Um, I, it was suggested to me this would be a good vehicle for my bill to be an amendment. It went through and it passed. And so it's part of a larger Republican bill. And that's kind of the good stuff that we do together. Um, yeah, talk to where... me about that because, you know, one, <laughs> I always say I could never run for office because it would be hard for me to work with someone, a Republican who's out there, you know, supporting hate speech and and supporting anti-Semitic comments and and making these just misinformation posts and and sound bites and then have to go in and work with them the next day it that's something I could not do right I'm I'm grateful for people like yourself and other you know public officials who can do it but that's got to be hard right because you've got to sit across it's from very them. hard and I got to say, it, it can be so disappointing. These people become your friends. I mean, you spend right. so much time with them. Towards the end of session, we are on that floor all day long. We go, you know, take turns going back to eat and like there's food yeah. for us in the back. And then you sit and you talk to these people and almost everybody is a parent and, you know, everybody like at their core wants to do the right thing for Florida. We just have a totally different way of going about it. Um, last night, I go to the debate. The Christ group, we're wearing t-shirts. They're pink. Charlie for choice. We wanted to make a statement. They're all dressed to the nines in their suits whenever. I walk over, I saw a bunch of my colleagues. I don't see them, you know. Right, outside. When we're not in session. Yeah. Those who are not nearby. I mean, you know, the ones in my delegation I see. And hugs and it's great to see. Some woman was like scowling at me because I'm like in this pink t-shirt sitting there with my, you know, these women in red dresses. I'm wearing a red shirt now. Yeah. And, um, and like, we all get along. It's it's hard to explain. And as I said, we pass like 95% of the bills are bipartisan. And they, back to your committee question, they will hear some of our bills. Mm -hmm. Not all of them. They're not hearing my gun safety bills. That's I was sure. just going to ask you about the gun safety because you proposed, I, I think proposed like four bills. Always. Yeah. yeah. Like four bills this past year, but they, they won't hear them because they don't want a hearing. They don't want their members to have to vote. No. Right. It, it's, it's not a good look. So they just don't put it up for hearing. Um, but they'll put up other things for hearing. And that's how I'm able to pass bills. You know, the ratio is it's not even even to the numbers. Obviously, the numbers are, are larger than ours. So you'd say, OK, well, that percentage, they passed those bills. It's it's more than that. But mm -hmm. they do pass some of our bills. Sometimes they hold it over our head towards the end of session. Don't you give us a hard time on this, or we're not going to hear your bill because if you run out of time, it's over. Like right. The bill is not heard; it does not become law. So the committee process is: um, you hear the bill. Sometimes people testify. Sometimes they don't. Big, consequential bills: the abortion bill, abortion don't bill. Say gay. You have mm -hmm. 
hundreds of people sign up to speak. And Tallahassee is not a convenient location. Right. And so it's very difficult for people to come, but they do. And there's amazing advocates out there and individuals who come all the time. Um, and you asked before about setting up committees. I, I request some and I got okay. some of what I requested. Some, they just, the leadership, the Republican leadership assigns it. Is there some pol politicization of it? Of course. I mean, they put me on judiciary, which I was very grateful for, but I gave a lot of them a very hard time. And so if they don't put me on, it's because they didn't like that I pushed back. So I hope that they put me back on. I'm going to request it. I did a lot of good in education. Mm -hmm. Killed this Bright Futures, what major you have to have bill, which was right. awful here. We killed it. And we we tore them apart in committees. So that's what committee is for. It's, it's a hearing and um, people testify and you ask questions and you debate and you can propose amendments. And then it has to go to the floor and it has to be voted on on the floor, in the House, in the Senate. And as I said, for the 3,000, you only get you know 200 something through and then the governor has to sign it. But it's like, it has to sort of be okay throughout the process. Like they, mm -hmm. a, a committee chair might put something up and then if leadership doesn't like it, it's not gonna get another hearing. But here's the kicker. If they want something done, they won't even put it, they'll put it like in one committee, like the last committee, which in the Senate is appropriations or rules it's called and they'll have like all day sessions at the end every bill has to go through one of those two committees at the end the others are like kind of subcommittees considered and uh if there's something going on at the end and we're running out of days they will just put it in the final committee because they can waive the rules at any time the leadership wow <laughs> so that's so your, so that bill becomes a law right but 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 that's also sort of the gamesmanship right that yes. that's occurring 100 percent yeah. 100%. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the pandemic response was not the best in Florida. It was horrific, in my opinion. Um, you were one of the leaders who were actively working on getting testing sites, more testing sites for your district, you know, getting people vaccines, um, working on unemployment because the backlog. Uh, I've got so much as an employment lawyer, got so many calls about unemployment and you know I had no answers for them because you've got to call the agency for that there's nothing I can do as a lawyer to do that I know you said you were you had some bills on unemployment or you're looking at some um, I, I don't know if you told me that or if I read that but tell me what sort of what where does it stand now the unemployment issue so you know, during COVID, it was a crisis and, you know, we helped hundreds of people. Um, the, the system was broken, backlogged. It never worked the right way in the first place. Uh, I think Governor Scott spent, you know, a ton of money um, on the technology and it just never worked. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. when you said, you know, you tell people to call the agency, they tried, you know, they tried. Like, yep. and these are like the horror stories we get. So in the end, it took a little while, but like the formula we sort of set up is like, an Excel spreadsheet. We had a legislative liaison who we would give that information to, and then they'd kind of like get moved through the process faster. Um, you know, we we point out like, okay, Mr. Smith has not heard from you in X amount of time. Like, obviously, I can't get them the unemployment check, but what I can do, and like this kind of goes for any issue, is get to the high highest level. Right. Like, if you have a problem with, uh, you know, um, something unrelated, like you know environmental protection or something like I could get to the head of the agency and talk to them and see if we can resolve it. And that oftentimes does work. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's again how we viewed our role is to just get the them prioritized and looked at so that they knew that these people were waiting and something was wrong with the system. Um, after that, I guess it was 2021, um, there was a lot of proposals to raise the rate. It was like one of the lowest in the country, but we what are, yeah. Um, and that was not successful. I think it passed the Senate, not the House. Um, tried to like change sort of the technology and the system. You know, they say it's better now. I guess we haven't had the crisis to really test it, but I, I, there hasn't been a complete overhaul at all. Um, a lot of people were having like sort of post-pandemic issues, like getting the tax receipt and, and things mm -hmm. like that, and, and some businesses as well right. from their perspective. So, you know, we continue to work with people, but obviously it's not the same it's crisis level. But we tried to do a special session on the employment insurance and they wouldn't have it. Um and we did like what we were allowed to do, like poll everyone. And if you get to a certain um, number, then everybody has to vote. And we did that and they voted it. No, like all the legislators. So pretty gross because, you know, we were in the middle of an absolute uh, shit storm and they yeah. wouldn't fix it. They wouldn't meet to fix it. Um, again, priorities, priorities of this governor right? Uh, and this administration. One of the way, things, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, unfortunately, the legislature is supposed to be separation of powers and the legislature is supposed to be a backstop. And it used to be. I mean, everybody to said to me, when I, when I was running for the Senate, like the Senate stops bad things from happening. They wouldn't hear abortion bills for years and years. Right. There used to be, and then the numbers are much closer in the Senate. You only needed like two Republicans to kind of not vote or vote our way and the bill died. We've lost a few numbers, but those people are gone. Uh, due to term limits, or they just didn't like the atmosphere anymore. And now mm -hmm. the legislature rolls over for the governor. And every married to look at lobbyists being around for a long time, every one of them I speak to said this has never happened in 20 years, or however long they've been around. Yeah. That the, the governor party controls lines not now. only, yeah, but they could, but even more than that, the governor controls policy. And then the governor is choosing Senate candidates. Like there was one in the Tampa area. Yeah. He kicked out somebody, stuck another one in, and he's paying for them. Um, and that is unheard of that he is sticking his nose in. Um, but this is why I continue chambers. to say, I think he is so dangerous, so dangerous 100%. Um, because he is showing just, I mean, he's doing whatever he wants to do. He's getting away with it. Um, people mm -hmm. like me are just frustrated with it because it's where are the checks and balances of it. Yep. And, you know, when I have friends who, who complain about these things to me, I'm like, you got to go vote. You've right. got to vote. You've, we have got to vote this guy out of office. We've got and to vote I him out know of office. People are, are discouraged, but since we have a little more time for people to vote, he won the governorship four years ago by 30,000 30. votes, less than 1%. Every governor's race has been that way yeah. uh, for a long time in Florida. Don't let them tell you it's done or your vote doesn't matter. Uh, go early vote. It is so easy. There's no lines. I was at the Coral Springs Library yesterday. There was nobody there. Um, you could even make an appointment in Palm Beach County if you want. But oh, really? I didn't know it. that. Yeah. It's like, uh, like they're testing it, you know, so. Uh, or vote it, by mail. Vote by mail is vote so by easy. Mail if you want, just make sure your signature matches what your license looks like and right. track it. That's the most important thing. Yes. Because yes. Um, if they don't like your signature, they will reach out to you. They're very good about that. And you can fix it. Like you, there's, you want to give yourself enough time to cure any problems that there might be, or if you're somehow your ballots lost. Um, 
If your ballot never makes it, you can go early vote. Like I get a mail-in ballot. And every time I go to early vote, they say, well, did you use your mail-in ballot? I say, nope, I'm not using it, ripping it up. Mm-hmm. So, okay, go early vote. Right. So there is no double voting. Um, that is not, there's, there's no fraud. None of this crap. Don't did you see, it. did but you see the video please, please of the vote. arresting for the voter fraud last yes, week? Yes, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. That's just, it's just pure voter intimidation. We knew that from the minute it happened. They hated Amendment 4 for your listeners. Amendment 4 allowed felon, felony, uh, people who are convicted of a felony who have served their probation um, and they're done with their sentence that they could vote again. Not murderers and not sex crimes. I'm not right. sure how you... Uh, how you define sex crimes, but okay, that was what was on the ballot. It was voted in overwhelmingly. I came in with that. I came in in 2018 with that uh, on the ballot. The legislature took it upon themselves to shrink back on what the people voted for and make it harder and right. harder for these. And I think 60. Per, it was like 60 percent of Floridians voted for that. It was a lot. For, yeah. Oh well, it has to be over 60 for any constitutional yeah. amendment. It was like 65. But, yeah, it was like 65 and, 67. Is, yeah. It's like enormous in the state of Florida, it's a landslide. And um, they just made it harder and harder. The legislature, like that mm-hmm. that's not their role. The people spoke, we have this system in Florida, it's very hard to get a ballot initiative on the ballot. It's a ton of work, it's a ton of money. They did it, it passed, they still stuck their nose to make it harder. And then this whole business of, of um, arresting these people, it is such a joke. Um, they will not be convicted. They, they're not even gonna be uh, prosecuted. Right. It's even the cops no, arresting them were confused of why they were arresting it, them. It, it was it's so disgusting. gross and, and horrible and racist. And if they can't win, they cheat. Right. And don't let them do that to you. Do not let them. You know, I get so frustrated. I'm like, I can't. I love living here. I can't. I don't want I don't want to be discouraged. I don't want to move away. You know, that's almost like what they're looking to do. Like, let's not them let them take away our Florida. Right. Like this is not who we are and what we are. I know a lot of it is. And believe me, I saw it yesterday. I was in Fort Pierce going to the, the debate. We were rallying in our pink t-shirts. They were on the sides yelling at us, baby killers, this, that. It's disgusting. Um, but you just, you know, keep the faith and 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 but you know, it's vote. important to, to like you said, don't let them do that. Go vote because, for example, the surgeon general position which uh, our, 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 I won't even say lovely, Joseph Latipo, um, who mm-hmm. I know you know, uh, I got, you know, that's a position that that the governor gets to appoint, right? Right, and the Senate gets to confirm. And when you ask me before about my Republican, like I'm fr- very friendly with these people. Right. And I beg them to not confirm him. I'm right. like, look what he did to me. You know, he's, he's awful. He's this, he's that. They and for the people who don't know what he did to you, tell us what, what he did to you. Because I was so really I was, upset and I had to stop myself <laughs> from going off on social media. <laughs> I was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. And luckily I am doing very well, but I had surgery and I had radiation. And in between the surgery and radiation, it was October of last year. And I was in Tallahassee for these committee weeks. And, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of people come in and out of your office all day long. And mm-hmm. It was like the height of the Omicron variant and I'd had my vaccines, but I you know, was very concerned about catching it because if I caught it, I couldn't start my radiation. You know, right. How could I go into Boca Raton Regional Hospital with COVID and start my treatments? And if you don't start your treatment at a certain time, you're like shit out of luck. Like right. it has to be done within X number of weeks of your surgery or it doesn't really it doesn't work. work. Or yeah. the same. So 
I was scared. And like, honestly, I could have stayed home. I, no one would have faulted me for saying, I'm in the middle of breast cancer treatment. I am not exposing myself and I'm, I don't feel well I'm not coming up there. But I did because I thought that it was important. And I only missed like, like a couple of days uh, mm-hmm. from all of it. So I go up there um, and I put a rule in my office that you have to wear a mask because I don't want to get sick. And every single person who comes to my office wore a mask. No problem. No one ever said anything. Dr. Ladipo makes an appointment to see me because I'm on a committee that's going to confirm him. The Senate has to confirm these positions, like all head of agencies. And there were many Mm -hmm. last year. And he comes in and he and his two lackeys will not put on a mask. And I said, please put on a mask. They won't put on a mask. He says, well, let's go outside. I said, no, you asked for an appointment. It's hot. You know, let's go in the hallway. That doesn't help. I'm right. asking you simply to wear a mask to you asked for this appointment and he wouldn't do it. And finally I kicked him out of my office and I thought it was a very important story and I hadn't come public with my breast cancer diagnosis. So I spoke to a reporter. I said, okay, you can report on my breast cancer. And then the next day you can tell the story about Dr. Ladipo. People mm-hmm. need to know what kind of person he is. Person, He's obviously right. not a, you know, a caring doctor and that he couldn't make this tiny, tiny sacrifice for me. And I was lambasted all over the place that I, they got a picture of me not wearing a mask somewhere else. And it was awful, absolutely awful towards me. He was awful. He never apologized. The governor was awful. He came after me. His wife was going through much worse. I was just going to say his wife was gone. Right. Hers was worse than mine, more aggressive, younger woman. It was despicable. This is, he's a, the DeSantis is a despicable human being. He went after me, never checked on me, nothing. I'm one of 40 senators. Like right. he knows who I am. Um, he he spoke, you know, and he never apologized. Of, of he never Fox News. Never. Never. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Breast cancer, terrible. My wife, nothing, nothing, nothing like that. Dr. Ladipo is a horrible human being. So the Senate backed to me at first. There was a memo. She can do what she wants in her office. He should have respected that. That was great. But in the end, they did confirm. So he is the Surgeon General. But since then, he has put out a bogus study. That vaccines are bad for young men because it gives them a cardiac something or other. Every yeah. scientific journal has debunked. This is not a study. This is just bull. Right. Um, he is the one who came out on this uh, awful, like non-gender affirming care right. for people. You know, if people need it, they need it, right? For their, their mental health. How many people are we talking about? Like, so he is a terrible person. He is uh like basically getting us to the point of vaccine hesitancy for kids in school that is not safe. And, and we're gonna have a real problem going forward with other diseases coming back, even forget about COVID. So right. um, this is the kind of person DeSantis wanted because the guy preceding him, Dr. Rifkis actually cared and did the right thing. And he was fired as a result or was mm-hmm. made to resign because he pushed back on the governor. You can't push back on this governor. Right. There is no checks and balances. And his pick for Surgeon General is uh, terrible. Um, but it's also why we questions. need to vote for these state Senate positions, right? right? Because it's important. These This Senate should have never confirmed Latipo. I mean, Absolutely. he, he was qualified. just not qualified for the job. And Unfit. so, you know, this just, just going along with whatever DeSantis says, it's extremely mm-hmm. scary. And I keep talking about how scary DeSantis is, why he's scary, but it's also scary that these senators don't have a backbone, right? Uh, it's terrible. And before we get too far afield, um, we haven't talked at all about Rubio. And oh, he's you know, I could talk too. about he's him. Replaced. No, but I just don't want people to like only, yeah. you know, if they're going to vote and they're listening to us, you know, that's the first one on the ticket. 
Um, Val Demings is a great candidate. She was chief of police in Orlando. She's tough as nails, right. but she's compassionate and caring. And her heart is in all the right places when it comes to abortion and gun safety. Rubio uh, has signed on to the federal abortion ban. Um, so be it for states' rights, right? Wasn't right. that exactly right, what right. they said it was important? But no, let's have a federal abortion ban. If Rubio and DeSantis get elected, we will have, you know, and Rubio and his cohorts, you know, get control. There will be a federal abortion ban. If DeSantis wins again, he's going to have a statewide abortion ban. And also they're going for open carry of guns. Right. So not only are they not listening to important gun safety proposals that we are suggesting, they're going even further. But last night, let me tell you, at that debate, no guns allowed. We went through of a course not. Right. Of course not. Of course but not. There's going to be open carry if he wins again. So those two things. In, in a state where there have been two in recent years, Horrible mass shootings. Um, and Rubio stood there, you know, speaking to Fred Guttenberg at that like town hall after Parkland and said he would do something. He has done nothing. He is a weenie. We know he he's bought anything. and paid for by the NRA, right? Oh, and, 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 and I mean, bought and paid and pharmaceutical, for pharmaceutical, you know, he's against the lowering prescription. I mean, who isn't against, who is against lowering prescription drug costs for seniors? Right. So, um, you know, one thing I'd like to say, and, you know, I don't know how much more time we have, but if I'm sure so many people who are like swing voters unsure, don't really know, will consider themselves moderate. You've heard mm -hmm. all the things that we've talked about for this last hour about how extreme uh, the DeSantis Rubio administrations are. The way to get back, I have a solution, very easy. The way to get back to moderation is to have a divided government. Charlie Crist, he has no crazy radical, believe me. Mm -hmm. If he, if we have a democratic governor, who by the way, has been a Republican and been an independent, been independent. He's very, very moderate. If we have a, uh, a democratic governor, he will force us to be balanced, to legislate to the middle. The legislature will still be Republican. There's no way around that at the moment. Um, they will, they can't legislate, you know, crazy bills are not going to, are going to get vetoed. Something super, super progressive that the legislature hates is not going to get a hearing. So there will be balance in government if we have a democratic governor. Um, so just please bear that in mind. Even if like it's your heart, you, you kind of believe in the Republican ideals or the old ideals, um, they are not happening in Tallahassee. The old ideals are gone though. The old ideals, old are, ideals are, are gone. gone. And if you like kind of are afraid of the democratic party for whatever reason, I can't imagine why, but if you are, uh, I promise you that this will be the way toward moderation because I think almost everyone, even if you agree with him, will say DeSantis is too extreme and they don't like everything about him um, and he's going too far, but he's going to go even further because he's running for the Republican primary nomination and he's going to have to go to the right of Greg Abbott and Christy Nome and everyone he thinks he's going to run against. And Texas already has a six-week abortion ban. So what do you think Florida's going to do? Right. Of course he's going to have to do it because he wants to be seen as the most right-wing conservative governor and so we are going to be his uh, petri dish experimentation with how far can he go? And there is no backstop. I'm telling you, the legislature doesn't stop it, and our Florida Supreme Court doesn't stop it because he appointed three justices. Yeah. Vote no on the justices retention. Correct. Um, so that is my closing petria. I love it. I love it. We'll end there, Tina Polsky. I wish you. I mean, I think you're winning your race regardless. But but of course, so. good luck to you, and I appreciate you so much for volunteering to come on this podcast. Um, I hope, I hope your message gets across and any, any last words, even if it's just vote. Um, yeah, just, 
your vote matters. Don't let anyone make you think otherwise. Your vote counts. Florida has very little fraud. Um, please, young people, vote. If your kid's in college, it's still time to request a mail-in ballot for them yes. from your home district, get sent to them. Um, do whatever you can to get them to vote. I'm bringing up a ballot to Boston. She's going to fill it out and sign it. I can drop it in a Dropbox. You are allowed to drop it in a Dropbox for your family members uh, and only two other individuals. So don't carry a lot because they change the election laws. They want to suppress your vote. Don't let them. Don't let them take away our Florida. Please vote. Absolutely. Well, listen, I hope to have you back on uh, when you're in session or right after session to talk about some of the bills you introduced and what happened with them. Thank you Good so luck, much, sir. Tina. Thank you, Ria. Great to be on. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. You can also follow the podcast on our social media pages.